Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Beaumont, Texas. For more information about Church on the Rock and Ron Hammonds Ministries, visit cotr.com. My question today, as we begin our word, is does he have you? What in the world does that mean? Well, We'll get to that in a moment because here we are again on the first day of the week. This is not the weekend. This is the week beginning. First day of the week. This is what the Bible calls the Lord's Day. This is the day that we celebrate the first day of the week because it's the day in which Jesus was resurrected. One of the many things. It's the day on which the Holy Spirit was given on the first day of the week. It's the day in which Jesus appeared to his disciples, you know, uh, you know in, in, in the morning and again in the evening. And then he appeared the next week as they were gathered together and walked right into their midst. It is the Lord's day. It's, it, 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 it's what the apostle John called the Lord's day. You know, I was in the spirit, the book of Revelation, on the Lord's day. It was the first day day of the week. That's what he's talking about. It's on the day in which the Lord commemorated that we should come together. And it's on this day that we're called together to fellowship and to worship together and to also to to hear the word, to share the word with one another. That is the intent and has been ever since the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a privilege today to break the bread of life together. And, you know, God has no grandchildren. You know that, right? God only has children, no grandchildren. Well, what does that mean? That simply means that, that salvation can be modeled, but it cannot be inherited. It cannot be bequeathed. It cannot be donated. It cannot be bestowed. Do you know that salvation cannot even be taught by a parent, a pastor, or a priest? You can't be taught salvation. You can't learn salvation. In order for a person to be saved, they must be born again. People must be introduced to the person of Jesus Christ and not the practice of Christianity. Too many times we teach the practice of Christianity instead of introducing people to the person who can come into your life and save your soul and change your nature from an old sinful nature to a nature of a saint, to a nature of someone that is born again. If you're not saved this morning, then God will invite you and encourage you to be born again today. Before you leave here, God, by his Holy Spirit, is going to invite you to be born again today. If you are born again, then God wants to make sure that he includes you today and that you are filled with principles that you can leave here with so that you can live as a light shining in the midst of this dark generation. God's going to inspire you, those of you who are his children, with principles that will help you make a better living, build a better life, and make a greater difference this week. He's interested in your week. Since God has no children and since salvation cannot be inherited, it is God's hope that every person who is ever born of a woman will have what we call a first-generation experience with God. What is a first-generation experience? Well, a first-generation experience means that you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Not just your Savior, but also your Lord. A first-generation experience is marked by a few basic fundamentals of the Christian faith. 
We will get to three of those in just a moment. But first, let's read our scriptures for today, wherein we will find encouragement and challenge. We will find some of us instruction and correction. We will find what we came here for today, another block to put in the building of our lives so that we can leave here more like Jesus than we were when we came. In Philippians, the second chapter this morning, I'm going to be reading this passage from the New Living Translation. We'll begin at verse 3. Let me encourage you to read the whole chapter. In fact, read the whole book. I have read 26 books of the Bible so far this year. I, am, I, I told you I was going to read one a week. Well, I hadn't been able to contain myself. Okay? Please read the Bible with me. And if you're at a place where you just don't have time to read, go to our website, C-O-T-R, Church on the Rock, C-O-T-R dot com. Right there in your face, you can click on Bible reading for the day and it'll read it for you. You can click on Catch Me Up and it'll go back. You can go back and catch up if you would like, okay? Uh, just get some type of Bible reading. Put the Bible in your heart, in your life, in your mind. Read the Bible. Read through the whole Bible with us this year, okay? Uh, we're beginning here in Philippians, the second chapter. The New Living Translation, verse 3. Don't be selfish. Boy, that would be enough for us to go home. You could say amen and we could go on. <laughs> you not only have enough to live, you have enough to give, right? You could go around the world giving that one to everybody you meet. God says don't be selfish. Whew, what a good word, huh? The Apostle Paul writing this to the church. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Boy, there's a, there's a real challenge in life, isn't it? One of the things we have in our office is one of the sayings that we've been saying now for 30 plus years in our office is I tell our, our staff, especially uh, 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 Tina just got up and went and checked on the nursery, I guess. But I tell her, because she's my scheduling secretary, that let's make sure that we believe that everybody else is more important than we are. Everybody else is more important than I am, and their time is more important than mine. They love Jesus every bit as much as I do. In fact, I can make you a case that everybody in our church loves Jesus more than I do. They come for nothing. I come for something. <laughs> this is the mantra in our office to make sure that we keep our heads straight. That we're not looking at you coming in the back doors trying to make us bigger. We are looking at us here trying to make you bigger, trying to make you more like Christ, trying to empower you, trying to make sure that you have a greater opportunity to share the gospel this week. You can't, uh, you can't make Jesus bigger. He can only make you bigger. That's our goal. And so it's realistic to make sure that we think of everybody else as more important, everybody else as better than we are. That's not saying that I'm bad because I think pretty good of you, okay? I can be almost as good as you and still be great, okay? But I just can't think of myself as better than you, as somehow more, more privileged, as somehow more, more empowered, as somehow more, uh, you know, uh, uh, somehow entitled than you are because that's the devil. That's not God. The moment people begin to treat you like they think they're better than you, you know where that spirit is coming from. And the moment that we begin to think of people worse than us, that they're not as good as us for whatever reason, that comes out of the wrong spirit. Verse 4, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. When he appeared in human form, verse 8 says, 
He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. He was not too good to be associated with criminals. He was not too good to be associated with sinners. Jesus hung out with sinners. Don't be afraid of sinners. Don't think the sinners make you look bad. Imagine you make them look good. Hang around them a little more. Rub off on them. Don't let them rub off on you. But don't be afraid of sinners. How are you ever going to get anybody born again if you're afraid of sinners? Therefore, because Jesus treated other people with that respect and with that value that God valued them with, because God gave his only son for these sinners, because Jesus valued them according to his father's estimation, therefore God elevated him to a place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. Look with me, if you would, in the book of Romans, the 15th chapter. You may not have this particular uh, version with you because I'm reading from a paraphrase in this version. It is the message. I don't often read from the message, but this morning it gives a pretty clear indication of what the Word of God wants for us to do. In Romans, the 15th chapter, verse number one, those of us who are strong, everybody say, I'm strong. Okay, you are strong in the Lord and the power of his might. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. So he's talking to you. Those of us who are strong and able in the faith need to step in and lend a hand to those who falter. We don't need to stand back and accuse, condemn, reject, criticize, judge. We need to lend a hand. If you think someone is faltering, then you're supposed to put your hand out to help them. You're not supposed to run away from them. Lend a hand to those who falter and not just do what is most convenient for us. Strength is for service, not for status. Do you get that? I love the, that's the reason I use this translation right here because it says it's so plain. The strength that God has given us is a strength to serve. It's not a strength to be somebody. It's a strength to serve somebody. It's a strength for service. It's not a strength for status. Each one of us needs to look after the good of the people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help them? Not what can they do for me, but how can I help them? If you own a business, you should be looking at every one of your customers, every one of your clients, as what can I do for them? Not what can they do for me? What can I do for them? If you are in a relationship, realize that God puts people in a relationship first for what they can give to the equation, not for what they can get. You will get, but God puts you in relationships first for what you can give. The Bible says in verse 3, that's exactly what Jesus did. Boy, that should be enough. He didn't make it easy for himself by avoiding other people's troubles, but waited right in and helped out. <laughs> wow, I love that. What would you do? What would you do if you could do absolutely anything in the world without question? I mean, if you could just boom, do anything in the world. What would you do? What would it be? If you could change anything in the world, if you could just change one thing in the world, boom, and it was changed. What would it be? Well, let me, let me preempt you there before you say anything. Because if leading someone to Jesus Christ is not at the top of your list, then you have missed the boat. Because everything else is perishable. 
Only eternal life is worth forever. If you could do anything in the world and you would not first lead someone to Jesus Christ, then you are missing the boat. For in this life, if you were satisfied fully, what is it that you would give in exchange for your soul? Romans 8, 36 says, what would a man offer? What could you offer a man that he would exchange for his soul? Well, in just a moment, I'm going to use some terms. I'm going to use first generation, second generation, and third generation Christians. First generation, second generation, third generation believers. Okay? Now, this is a disclaimer. When I say first generation, second generation, third generation Christian, it has nothing whatsoever to do with whether or not your parents are born again, whether your grandparents were saved, or whether you are saved or not. It has nothing to do with that, okay? But we will apply some word to these topics, but it is not talking about a person who is saved or not saved. It's not talking about your past. You see, there is a first-generation experience that has some basic fundamentals of faith attached to what is called a first-generation experience with God. And it's important that we don't relegate this to the fact that if your parents were born again, then that makes you a second-generation Christian. Not true. Because all over our communities, people whose parents and grandparents and great-grandparents were born again, as well as those whose parents were lost, people today are having a bona fide first-generation experience with Jesus Christ. And so when I say first generation, second generation, third generation, and when we apply the word of God to this, don't think for a moment that, oh my goodness, I'm a third generation Christian. The way that you'll know you're a third generation believer is if you are a third generation believer, okay? And we're going to remedy that today because we're going to ask you to step all in. I'm going to ask you today to make a first generation commitment to Jesus Christ. Let me first explain what, explain what first generation, second generation, and third generation are according to my terminology. I don't know of anyone else preaching this in the world, by the way, so we'll have to go with me, okay? Are you ready? Three fundamentals. There are more, but three fundamentals of a first generation born-again believer. Number one, a first generation born-again believer, has an unshakable faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, these are people who are serious about Jesus. These are people who have a fundamental belief, an unshakable faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? Jesus was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He died an atoning death. He is coming again. He will reign forever as King of kings and Lord of lords. And he will save your soul as only he can. If you will recognize you need a Savior, if you will repent of your sins, and if you will receive him by prayer into your life. It's written right over there on the wall, I believe. 
This is the gospel proclamation that our church has carried so far to over 200 countries. Come into my office and we'll show you a little map with a red line on it, with a red string on it, to all the countries that we have went to the, to the capital city of that nation and stood in that nation and prayed this gospel proclamation that Jesus Christ, we have prayed it, we have prepared it most in their, and, and, and put it in their language and we have posted it in the capital city of, of, of almost every nation in the world. And hopefully we'll get the rest of them. Few of, we have a few little islands. We've got the hard ones. We've got a few little islands that are just, you know, it takes a week to get there and a week to get back and I can't find any volunteers to go on the cruise. <laughs> I see Daryl back there thinking, yeah. Jesus lived a sinless life. You see, we need an unshakable faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not a suggestion. It's not a fantasy. It's not some fable. Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. He lived a sinner's life. That should be enough. The question answered, was he born of a virgin, should answer every other question we have. Son of God and son of man. He lived a sinless life. He died an atoning death. He was raised again to life, victorious over sin, death, hell, and the grave on the third day, and he reigns forever. He is coming again, and he will save your soul. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's an inclusive gospel. He said, whosoever will. We must have an unshakable faith in the fact that Jesus will save anybody, anytime, anywhere. No one gets too bad. No one gets too far away. No one does something that Jesus Christ will not touch, redeem, forgive, set free, bring their feet up out of a miry pit and set them on a rock and put a new song in their heart. Jesus Christ saves sinners. He changes lives. A first generation born again believer has an unshakable faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number two, a first generation born again believer has an unquestionable loyalty to the church of Jesus Christ. An unquestionable loyalty in today's world when the church has been maligned. In today's world whenever every organized religion is put into one pot and mixed up and people can't tell the difference between the church of Jesus Christ and some group of people out here running a cult. In today's world we must as first generation born again believers hold an unquestionable loyalty to the church of Jesus Christ. Christ. The Bible says in Psalm 69 in verse 9 that Jesus was consumed with zeal for the house of God. He believed in it. He was loyal to it. He himself even had sat down and platted a whip. He went into the temple more than one time and cleansed it saying, this house is a house of prayer. This is my father's house. We must possess an unquestionable loyalty to the church. The church is the body of Christ. We can never forget that. The church is the bride of Christ. It's not the girlfriend of Jesus that you're dating. It is the bride of Christ that you are a member of. The church is the family of God in heaven and earth. Jesus lived for the church. He died for the church. And Jesus is coming again for the church. 
Jesus will live forever as the head of the church. The one vision, the one goal that he told us is that upon this rock I will build my church. Jesus loves the church. If you want to be like Jesus, you will have to go to church because he did. And if you don't want to go to church, you don't want to go to heaven. That's reality. Don't be disrespecting the church of the living God. Don't be caught. Jesus didn't like it when Paul did it, and he won't like it when you do it. Don't speak disrespectful things about the church. Not this church, not the church down the road, not the Baptist, the Methodist, the Catholic, the Church of Christ. Do not lift up a vile tongue against the church of the living God. He does not take it lightly. It is like kicking against an ox goad. A first generation Christian possesses an unquestionable loyalty to the church of the living God. Number three, a first generation born again believer also holds an unquenchable thirst for souls. We understand as first generation born again believers that it's all about souls. It is all about the salvation of mankind that God in his infinite mercy and in his infinite wisdom sent his son from heaven to live this sinless life and to die a cruel death. Jesus, of his own volition, willingly threw himself between you and God. God was intending on sending you to hell for the sins that your forefathers had committed. Everyone is born in sin. He who says he is without sin is a liar. And we were dead in our trespasses. We were away from God. We were enemies to the commonwealth of Israel, strangers and foreigners without God in this world. And when God was ready to judge us, when God was ready to destroy mankind, to cast our souls into hell, Jesus willingly threw himself between God and man and took my punishment and took my sin and took my penalty and set me free. Someone... Jesus paid the ultimate price, but someone made a sacrifice so that I could hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Someone sent a preacher to stand in a pulpit to build a building to offer an opportunity to give his life. And as I sat in that seat at 12 years old and a six foot four inch Pastor Tom Cowgill in Sims, Texas at the First Baptist Church when he preached the message of Jesus Christ, a message he had preached untold numbers of times before, he didn't realize that he was reaching into the heart of this young boy. He didn't realize that I didn't come to church to be saved. I come to church to be with friends. But I left that day with a new song in my heart. I left that day with a new purpose in my life. I left that day knowing that I had been born again. 
Tom Cowgill had an unquenchable thirst for souls. He stood in that little church with about 40 people in it, and he preached his heart out every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night with very little evidence of it making a difference. Oh, I wish today I could stand him in this pulpit and show him what he did. With just one opportunity, he gave a little boy to say yes to the creator of the universe. The gospel is an inclusive gospel. Pharisees felt that they were better than others. But Jesus spent time with everyone. Don't say no to Jesus for anyone else. Don't make it hard to go to heaven. Make it easy. Jesus did the hard part. Make it easy, but it will require your time, your talent, your treasury. We still have to build buildings. We still have to pay preachers. We still have to find a way to get this message in front of people here and around the world. We must possess an unquenchable soul, an unquenchable thirst for souls, an undying commitment to discipleship, an unwavering message of righteousness. We are successful when we share a clear message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You might say, preacher, tell me more about this first generation. Let me tell you, by way of Bible history, the difference between a first generation, second generation, and third generation Christian. A first generation Christian, let's use King David for an example. King David was a first generation, come to God, commitment to God. I'm going to live to God. I'm going to give my heart, my life, and everything I have to God. He wasn't per perfect by any means, but he was a repentant person, and the Bible said he had a heart after God. King David paid for the kingdom. King David fought the fights. King David stood up against the enemies. King David found himself in the temple of God. He had a presence of God about him. And King David wrote the Psalms and worshiped God. And despite what he went through and despite how much it cost him, regardless of what it cost, he laid his life down for God. He is what we would see as a first generation believer in all that God can do, all that God will do, and what we should do in response and thanksgiving to that he was committed fully committed to God King Solomon was a second generation believer King Solomon didn't have to pay for the kingdom King Solomon kind of inherited the kingdom you know it kind of was free he didn't really fight battles he just kind of spent money the money that David had amassed. And he got wealthier with it. And he got very, and he was wise, 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 wise. But you know what he did? He did some stupid things. He started a, a little compromise. You see, David had God. David had all of God. And God's presence was with David. With Solomon, God just kind of visited him. He let God visit David had all of God, and God had all of David. Well, Solomon had all of God, but God didn't have all of Solomon. And as I said, this has nothing to do with whether or not your parents are born again. It's everything to do with a personal experience. You see, because Solomon, 
he began to invite other gods into his home, into his, his uh, you know, nation. You know, and yeah, he, he worshiped God, but he also, you know, allowed worship of a lot of other gods in his life. He began to compromise. You see, he had all of God, but God didn't have all of him. And Solomon just kind of enjoyed the things of the kingdom, but he really didn't, you know, I mean, he just really disappointed God because he wasn't all in. He just wasn't all in for God. He didn't live that way. He lived kind of, you know, I love God. And I love what God has given me. And God, you're a good God. But look at all the stuff I got. And this is more about me than it is about you, God. It's equal, God. It's equal about me and you, God. Because I'm so important. And look at me. And shouldn't I be important? I mean, after all, I'm representing you. Oh, but, but let's, let's, let's just let a few other gods in here too. Well, you begin to, you know, be relevant worldly you begin to kind of mix it up a little bit a first generation christian says come out from among them and be separate says the lord a second generation christian says well you know we want to be relevant listen first generation christian would rather be more relevant to god than relevant to the world first generation christian holds a biblical worldview not a worldview of the bible By the time we get to the third generation Christian, a young man named Rehoboam, Rehoboam was lost as a goose. He inherited the kingdom and Solomon really built it up. But man, let me tell you, this guy was confused. It took him just about two weeks to lose the whole kingdom. And it's never been unified again. What happened to Rehoboam? Why? Well, you see, Solomon was raised in the house of David. Rehoboam was raised in the house of Solomon. Rehoboam's mother was a woman named Nama. Nama was the daughter of the Ammonite king. And Nama talked her husband Solomon into letting her build a worship art center to the god of Molech on the Mount of Olives. Ezekiel 23 talks about this. Ezekiel 23 says that, that the Israelites, they went to the Mount of Olives. They, they, they went to the mountains there beside Jerusalem and they sacrificed their children to Molech in the mornings and then they went to the house of God and worshiped in the evenings. Rehoboam was confused because even though daddy had built a big church, a big new church for, for God, mom had also built a worship art center for Molech. And so he was confused. He was raised worshiping this God and worshiping that God. And what happens to a third generation Christian? Well, they're all the same. It really doesn't matter. I mean, I mean what, what's the difference? Hmm? I mean, there's, there's truth for you and truth for me. Everybody has a different truth. Hello, does this sound at all like what's happening in Christian families, in churches? Does it sound at all like a compromise of, of all of a sudden we raise, if we're not watchful, a generation in church, sitting in church, living in the kingdom who are lost as a goose? Yes, right. Having no conviction, 
having no understanding of the God that we are talking about, of the price that he paid for the souls of mankind. Because while that's going on in one congregation, right down the road, there's a congregation having a first generation experience and people are coming and they're giving their whole lives and they're saying, I've got God, but God has me. He has all of me. He has my Saturday nights, not just my Sunday mornings. He has my Monday mornings, not just, he has my Wednesday nights. He has my Thursday nights. He has my Friday. He has my TV. He has, you know, he has my computer. He has my phone. He's got all of me. So that we aren't confused. So that we aren't raising a generation of confused Christians who come to church but go home where there are personal idols in their homes. Whether it is, forgive me here, whether it's Sunday football that they stay home for or a boat at the lake. It's a confusion when you raise children. Then they think that you are a generation, a first generation born again believer because they will be a reflection of whatever you are, but not all that you are. What they need, what our children need, and what our grandchildren need are an individual first generation experience with Almighty God. And they can't get that. They cannot get that by inheritance. It doesn't matter if their mom and dad's born again, if their granddaddy's born again, if they're the pastor of the church or the prime minister of Israel. That is a personal experience. Every person must be born again. God has no grandchildren. He only has children. And what you must apply for, for your soul, is a first generation experience with God. Jesus loves you. If you're born again, you got all of God in you. My question is, does he have you? Does he have you? If he does, You'll be exhibiting unselfishness, not trying to impress others, but being humble and thinking of others better than yourself, not looking to your own interests, but on the interest of others. And you'll have the same attitude in you that Christ Jesus had, who though being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant. What can you do for others? Not what others can do for you.